Welcome to the Pactum. This is Pat Abendroth. And on today's episode, we are talking about women preachers or women preaching. It's episode 112. But before we get into all of that, I do have a special announcement. And that is that we are hosting a Ligonier event for youth, middle school through high school. It is called Always Ready. So it's about apologetics. And it will be Thursday evening, April 27th, 2023. And if you'd like more information, you can go to their website, Ligonier.org, find events, and you'll find it right there. Stephen Nichols is going to be here. I have two of my high schoolers going, or my two high schoolers going, and some of their friends. Looking forward to hosting that one day or one evening event with Ligonier Ministries. Well, we are hosting that, but I have to say we are not on the podcast today because I'm alone today without my crimes. It is, yes, a Lone Ranger edition. A fiery horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver. The Lone Ranger. So when it comes to this matter of women preachers or women pastors and the like, there are all kinds of questions. And what we'll do today is entertain, oh, I have a list of 10 because that's kind of Pactum-esque to do a top 10 list. So we have 10 questions about women preachers, women preaching and all of those sorts of things. Question number one is, why are we even talking about this? Why is it a topic for the Pactum? Uh, Why would we want you to be entertaining these questions? Well, for starters, uh, it's because the Bible does address it. It is a biblical issue, and the Bible addresses such matters without ambiguity, so we'll want to do the same thing. In addition, we would want to talk about it because it's a current event. It's in the news, uh, social media, it's a hot topic. So Rick Warren weighed in recently because of his change of perspective, and he's obviously famous for his uh, best-selling books and very influential in the Southern Baptist Convention. And so we'll talk about what he said about it because uh, he's all for ordaining women and having women, having women preachers. We could talk about other celebrities in evangelicalism like Beth Moore or Amy Bird. Uh, so it's nothing new in that sense, it, but it is uh, a hot topic. Uh, there's a local church in my area that recently started promoting women preaching. And so it's controversial even in the city where I am. And it matters. It matters to me as a pastor, because if it's in social media or on social media, whichever one it is, it affects those I'm entrusted to care for. And so they're asking questions and I want to be able to guide them and help them. And obviously it affects many of you who listen to the Pactum. Some of you are pastors. Uh, Lots of you are not pastors. So hopefully this can be helpful as you consider this matter of women preaching. Question number Two is, is the controversy, because because it is controversial, is it a new controversy? And the answer simply is no. How about that? It's not a new controversy at all. Um, if we just took, for example, the PCUSA, the Presbyterian Church uh, USA, so it's the more liberal uh, of the different Presbyterian uh, denominations. But if you were to do some just searching around, as I did uh, earlier today, learning about their history, that particular denomination's history, it was in 1956 that they ordained their first woman as a minister of word and sacrament. Her name was Margaret Towner. And nine years later, in 1965, uh, the PCUSA ordained another woman as its first female, and they gave her the label or the title pastor. And we'll come back to the PCUSA because it's kind of a good example to learn from. In more recent history, 
not the 1950s, not the 1960s, uh, but we saw that it was all that with the Willow Creek Association. So back in the 80s and, and then into the 90s, very influential in evangelicalism. If you want to grow your church, you want to learn marketing techniques and such things, you would reach out to Bill Hybels and the Willow Creek Association. Uber, super popular. It's not so much anymore because fads come and fads go. But Bill Hybels and his mentor, Gilbert Belzikian, uh, they were big proponents of female pastors. So Belzikian, I think the first edition was in 1985. It was re revised and updated. But he wrote a book called Beyond Sex Roles, What the Bible Says About Women, a Woman's Place in Church and Family. And that was influential in evangelicalism. Uh, he also was a professor at Wheaton College. So uh, it's, it's not a new controversy. It's been around for some time. Uh, I guess more recently, both of those men are not so much known for promoting uh, female pastors, female elders uh, and preachers. Uh, both of them have been marred by sex scandals. Unfortunately, I think I read that Wheaton has uh, rescinded Belzikian's uh, professor emeritus status. Uh, and Will Creek has definitely distanced themselves from Bill Hybels. So they were for women preachers, but in their actions, they didn't seem to be very for women. But that's just an aside. It's sad, all of the things that happen sometimes. With some of those things in mind, let's now move on to another question. And that would be, is it Christian? Is it Christian for churches to have female pastors? And you may have noticed I'm using all of these things interchangeably. Sometimes people mince words about uh, preaching versus being a pastor. At this point in time, I'm just using it as we've typically used such words. Pastors preach. Preachers are pastors. Uh, pre uh, pastors are elders. We do know, do know that from the New Testament, that an elder is used interchangeably for the same person. A pastor used interchangeably for the same person, overseer or or bishop, if it's the King James translation. So is it Christian? Is this the right thing for Christians to do and to answer the question as a Bible-believing Christian? Uh, but I repeat myself, when we say Bible-believing Christian, that's a redundancy, uh, not to mention one who pays attention to ch the church and her history. The answer is a resounding no. I, I would have to say absolutely not. It is not a Christian thing for churches to have female pastors. So I've already made it clear where I'm coming from. Thankfully, I'm in good company, but that alone is controversial. So this is not because I'm a fundamentalist, because I'm not a fundamentalist. I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible, that's redundant, and the Bible is patently clear about these things. And church history has been that way also. And so the answer is no. So that's where we're, that's where we're coming from. That's where we are. Um, and so, again, I'm not going to say, well, some pastors can be pastors, but they're not preachers, so therefore some pastors can be women. That's not really how we historically have spoken. And it seems like nine times out of ten, it's some kind of dodge. It's some kind of modern get around to make an exception that ought not be made. So we're talking about the office, yes. We're talking about the activity, yes, because I believe that they overlap uh, and so that's how I'm going to address the matters today on the Pactum. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this important matter. Maybe you've got this all sorted out, but maybe this can help you to 
help someone else, or you can share it with someone else. Another question would be, what does the Bible teach about equality between women and men or men and women? Well, the Bible is clear about equality. We are made in God's image, whether we are a man or a woman, male and female, we are image bearers and we are equally image bearers. In Genesis chapter one, verse 27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And so we already are talking about equality between the sexes, if you will. And then we talk and we learn in the New Testament when it comes to being united to Christ by faith, there is neither male nor female, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. That doesn't mean there's no difference between males and females. It means that we're you were equal in Christ. So spiritual equals, let's make sure we're absolutely crystal clear on that matter. And I'm all about it. Uh, without qualification, without alteration, without flinching, uh, we should be champions for such things because the Bible is so clear that we are spiritually equal. That brings us to the next question. What are we not saying in saying that women should not be pastors. Well, we are saying lots of things in saying that women shouldn't be pastors. We are not saying, uh, excuse me, what are we not saying? We're not saying that women are inferior. Uh, heaven forbid, God forbid. We're not saying that. Uh, my wife is very close to me uh, today and uh, she would she wouldn't go for that. And I would never even suggest such a thing. I did ask her if she wanted to be on the episode today. And she said, uh, no. So uh, we'll get her on here one day. Maybe we'll talk about what it takes to be married for three decades or more or something like that. Uh, but I digress. We are not saying uh, uh, we are not saying that women are not gifted. We're not saying that women are not to be theologically astute or in need of theological instruction. As a matter of fact, I think we all need theological instruction. Otherwise, we can't know who God is truly. And then we can't understand how he works and what he requires. We can't understand salvation. And we certainly can't un cannot understand his great promises. So I am pro theological education for men and women. Men and women are gifted, even if they're gifted in different ways. Therefore, they're vital to the life of the church. Uh, so we're not saying they're not. Uh, we are not saying they're not capable of helping men. By definition, they should be helping men, and we should actually be assisting and guiding and helping one another. Uh, and so they are. Uh, and we're also furthermore, how about this? We're not saying that their women are not able or capable of helping, helping men to better understand, get this theology. I'll, I'll want to say that women are capable. I want women to help men to better understand theology. So this isn't some kind of degradation or ignore, ignoring kind of thing at all. Uh, I appreciate what Acts 18.26 says regarding Apollos. It says that Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla, female, and Aquila, male, husband and wife team, if you will, but not pastoral team, Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When I preached Acts, Acts 18 not very long ago, I said it says what it says means what it says. And they both helped him 
And isn't it great that they could both help him? But then I said, but don't make this say or mean more than it says or means. It doesn't say they were pastors and it doesn't say she was a pastor. Uh, This is a private conversation. This is not when it comes to a pastoral office. This is not the church gathered for the preaching of the word of God. No, they took him aside and they did this. And I've been thankful when people have taken me aside and they've said, I, I think you've forgotten about such and such, a, such and such a verse. As a matter of fact, I remember being a pretty new Christian, but I was tasked with hosting a Bible study. And so I was happy to do that, eager to learn as much as I possibly could, was studying and trying to prepare uh, the best I could. And I said something that was not altogether correct. Uh, it was partially true, if you will. It was true in one sense and not in another. And I remember the kind, gentle, elderly woman. Maybe she wasn't elderly then, but she is now. And she asked me if I'd ever thought about a certain passage of scripture. She was humble about it. And I said, no, I actually haven't. Thank you so much for pointing that out to me. And I've been forever grateful. So things we're not saying, because oftentimes when you say, I'm not for, I don't believe that women should be preachers. I don't believe that women should be pastors, elders, overseers. Then all of a sudden uh, you're made out to be something you actually are not. You're made out to be saying something you actually are not saying or even implying in the least. So this is great and important that we understand what we are saying and what we're not saying. That brings us to another question. What are we saying in saying that women should not be pastors? What we are saying is that the Bible says specific things about this matter. And if the Bible does, and it is God's word, which is what Christians believe, then really that settles it. We are saying uh, that it's not up to us as Christians to decide what the Bible says. can authoritatively say and what it cannot authoritatively say. It's not picking and choosing. Well, I like this part about the Bible, but I don't like that part about the Bible. No, no, we we can't do that. We we can't do that. Uh, It was Francis Schaeffer in 1984, shortly before his death in his book, pretty well-known book, at least it used to be called the great evangelical disaster. And he said, it is a direct and deliberate bending of the Bible to conform to the world spirit of our age at the point where the modern spirit conflicts with what the Bible teaches. So if we're going to have women preachers, what we have to do in order to do that, if we have a Bible, is we have to deliberately bend it to try to get it to conform. And maybe bend is too soft of a word. So we are saying that women should not be pastors. Women should not be preachers because of what the Bible clearly says. And we will get to the clear text of scripture because now we want to answer the question, what are the reasons that women should not be pastors? So why, what are the reasons? And I have numerous reasons, but there's really one big reason and it's the glaring reason. And as you are listening to the Pactum today, I hope you know the reason you're anticipating the reason, the reason women should not be pastors, uh, though they do amazing things and need to do amazing things for the life and health of the church and the world and families. Women should not be pastors because of the Bible. We have divine revelation. We have revelation from God, the eternal all-knowing one, the one who knows the end as well as he knows the beginning. And certainly he knows what's best for the church because the church belongs to him. Since we have instruction from him about the church, then we, we have to take it to heart. And First Timothy chapter 2 is the most important passage when it comes to this matter. It's the most 
maybe direct and clear. And so I'll reference first Timothy chapter two, verse 12, that says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Well, I like to say to people when I'm preaching sometimes, guess what that means in Greek? Guess what that means in Hebrew? Uh, it means exactly what it says. It's a very clear translation of the Greek New Testament. Uh, it says what it says. And so that's what we do. That's what we do in the life of the church. This is not instruction for Old Testament Israel in a unique time and place that's not for us, Old Covenant. No, it's not that at all. And so we, we take that seriously. And complementing this, uh, complementing First Timothy chapter 2 would be the qualifications, right? The qualifications for overseers or elders or pastors. We find them in First Timothy chapter 3. We find them in Titus chapter 1. Uh, and it says in First Timothy chapter 3, regarding the one who aspires to the office of overseer, used interchangeably in the Bible for pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. So it's he and he is a husband. Uh, if we go on in verse four, he must manage his own household well. In verse five, manage it talks about managing his own household well. And if he can't do that, he can't capably care for the church. Chapter uh, chapter three, also in verse six, he must not be a recent convert. He, otherwise he may become puffed up. Uh, chapter three, it's all chapter three, sorry. Verse seven, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace. So it's he, and it's uh, a man who is committed to his wife, not a wife who's committed to her husband as much as we are for that. And the Bible is for that. Qualifications for pastors are uh, they do have to be not only men, not all men are qualified to be pastors, but we do see that the person must be a man. The same thing is true in first or in Titus chapter one, very similar. It's the same thing. Some of it's stressed a little bit differently. So why not have women pastors? Well, the reason is first and foremost, be of all other, be up above all others is because the Bible now, there's also a complementary reason to this, and so let's call it a second reason why women should not be pastors. They can't legitimately be pastors, and that is because of the testimony of the church. And by church, I mean we're not the first Christians, so throughout the church's history, if we pay attention to that, it's not authoritative. Scripture and Scripture alone is the inerrant God-breathed revelation but we do pay attention. We try to read the Bible with the church so that we're not coming up with unique or novel interpretations. They have the spirit. We have the spirit. So let's pay attention. Uh, and so we at least want to ask, so what is it that people before us have concluded and why have they concluded it? Uh, before we just say, well, we're just going to chuck all history and say, we don't care. Uh, we're going to figure it out ourselves. No, we stop and we say, what did they do? And, and why did they do it? And were there debates about it then? And, and how were those debates settled? So, and part of this is really, we're talking about being conservative and I don't want to be conservative in all things or to be conservative, to be conservative, but it's important that before we destroy things, we say, why is it there? That's conserving. So before we just say, uh, I'm going to go tear that fence down because I don't like the way it looks. We have to say, why is it there? Uh, and this is how it is for anything that's been done in the past. We don't want to be arrogant and say, well, that's how they did it before us. 
Uh, and that's not what makes us comfortable. It's not what we would prefer. Uh, it doesn't seem to make sense. And so without paying attention to why they've done certain things, we just, you know, take the, the wrecking ball and destroy everything. And so we want to conserve things that should be conserved. Some things aren't worth conserving. This seems to be one of them, especially since it's so clearly stated in scripture. And so let's not be foolish about the past or ignore the past. What has been done? Why has it been done? Let's not pretend like up until yesterday, uh, everything was a bad idea. One scholar who has looked into these things in a far deeper way that, than I have uh, has this to say, apart from a few certain sectarian, excuse me, apart from a few sectarian movements, the entire Christian church from the first century until the 1850s agreed that only men could be pastors and elders. That's worth noting. And the vast majority agreed that only men could do public Bible teaching of both men and women. So there's that. And he goes on to say from the 1850s where things are starting to change and now we're having seismic shifts and perspectives on things. And I don't just mean life within the church with theological liberalism and post enlightenment kind of thinking. The Bible maybe is not God's divine revelation, perfect, authoritative, sufficient, things like that. It says from the 1850s until the 1950s in the United States, women pastors were a tiny minority, but over 98% of evangelical churches had only men as pastors. So even after that significant change in the 1850s um, until about the 1950s, it was practically unheard of. So why the change? Because we, we found new manuscripts. Uh, no, that's not the case. It has more to do with our culture around us. So let's pay attention to the history of things. Now, another reason why women shouldn't be pastors, and this is a big one, and it's because of the bad arguments for it. So please pay attention to these, not because I want you to be won over, but because these are common arguments that are used. I've got a whole long list of them. Uh, I'll go quickly but a whole long list of arguments that are used for having women preachers and the arguments are not good arguments. If they were good arguments, then we'd say, well, I guess we should change our mind. Well, actually we hopefully wouldn't do that because of what the Bible actually says, but some of these relate to that. So let's work our way through some of the bad arguments for having women preachers. Uh, one would be that she can, she can be a preacher because the limitation was only a cultural one. So that limitation, that was a cultural issue. And today we, uh, we, we don't live in that same culture. And so it doesn't apply. And this simply is not true. It's very common. They'll say, well, back in that culture, that's not what they allowed. But in our culture, it's different. We allow it. So let's change. Well, the apostle Paul does not ground his argument in the culture. He says what he says in first Timothy chapter two, verse 12 but then in verse 13, it says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. He grounds it in the created order. They're both image bearers. So he, he doesn't base it upon somehow you're a lesser person, but he does ground everything on the created order. There's Adam and, and then there was a form first and then Eve. And then he goes on to tie it to the fall as well in a secondary sense. And so we, we take that seriously. I think that's a really bad argument. It's a really bad reason. Another really bad reason uh, that they offer uh, would be that women can be pastors because the limitation was only for those who were in Ephesus. Paul is writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, or according to 1 Timothy, and they say, well, that's just because of something that was going on there. 
Also, once again, it doesn't work because Paul's argument is tied to creation. It's not tied to a certain culture like Ephesus. And if we wanted to do a deep dive, we won't do it, but you can check out George Knight and his technical exegetical Greek commentary on the pastoral epistles. And he does more of a deep dive as a Greek expert to talk about the grammar and talk about the wording that's used. And you get the opposite sense from the text that this is somehow limited. No, it's uh, broader and it's talking to women in general, not Ephesian women only. Another bad argument for having women pastors uh, is to say that she can be a pastor because what was actually forbidden was the abuse of authority, not authority. Again, I hope you see through that. Uh, The text doesn't say it's the abuse that's the problem. It just says she's not to have authority over a man. Uh, You get no sense whatsoever. There's not any indication in any um, sense that that's what's actually meant by the, the wording or the grammar or the syntax. Uh, it's, it's not the case at all. So it's a convenient thing that those who are more theologically liberal want to do because they somehow have got to change this because they simply can't accept what the Bible says. If it's contrary to modern culture, another bad argument would be that causes me to not think women should be pastors, uh, is that she can be because her husband or her elders say it's okay. So she can be a pastor or maybe typically this is used. She can preach. Maybe they say, well, she's not a pastor, but she can preach God's word on a Sunday morning uh, to the people of God gathered and assembled. She can do it because the elders give her permission or because her husband says it's okay. I've heard that so many times. And so let's, let's pose our question. So in response, so she can disobey God because someone has given her permission to disobey God. Uh, That doesn't even make any sense. It's such a stretch and it's, it's really foolishness. Another argument that's not a good argument that is that she can, if she's educated because women were not educated in the first century and that was the whole problem to begin with. Well, let's just put it simply. That's simply not true. It's not true that women weren't educated in the first century. What is true and what was true is that some men were educated. Some men weren't educated. Some women were educated and some women weren't educated. And so it really doesn't work. It's a, it's a good argument. If you have a sympathetic audience, that's not thinking and not willing to do some research. So for example, both Plato and Aristotle believe that men and women should have the same education and training. And we could find example after example where people are ignorant in some places, or excuse me, some people are ignorant and some people are educated. So that doesn't seem to fit. That's a, that's a weak argument in all of this. It would be true if she's not educated, she shouldn't teach other people, whether it's in church or not, but the same would be true for men. And so that, that doesn't fly. It doesn't work. It's naive. Uh, It's an argument that's good for naive people. And I don't want you to be naive and we're working our way through this. Not because we want to be mean. It's, but it's because we want to know things about what God says. And we want to understand some of the issues of the debates so that we can be prepared to respond with confidence. Another bad reason why people give for women being preachers or pastors, they say she can because there have been female prophets and you say, Oh, well, I I think that's actually true. And we can find some female prophets in the old Testament, for example, in the new Testament, for example. And we would respond by saying, I would say it's true. I, I would acknowledge that, 
but th- that's different from a pastor and it's different from the office of a pastor. So uh, we don't have a contradiction in the Bible. They're, they're two different things. We're comparing apples and oranges. Another bad reason. Uh, she can be a pastor. She can preach because of the great commission, the great commission that says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And so that's the one that Rick Warren gave here recently in the news and uh, you know what? I'm all for the Great Commission, and I'm all for men and women, boys and girls, participating in the Great Commission. But what he wanted to point out, it seems, as I listened to him speak, is the fact that, well, there's teaching involved. And so obviously men and women are involved in teaching. Therefore, women can be pastors. And I, I say, well, hold, on, hold on just a second. Uh, you know, there, there's teaching, there's instructing and evangelism, uh, but that's apples to oranges when you're comparing the, the office, uh, and, and the preaching of the word of God, when the people of God gather for word, the word of God being preached and the sacraments being observed, that this is a totally different matter. They're not, they're simply not the same thing. Teaching in one to- one context can be for all believers or unbelievers, while in a, in a, at the same time, pastors uh, can be unique and teaching in a unique way in a different context. Uh, one is the church, one is official, one is relating to the preaching of the word of God, and the other one is not. Folks, remember, as we like to say here on the Pactum, categories matter. Uh, the Bible isn't just a bunch of alphabet soup or contradictions. There, there are categories. So are we talking about formal church gathered together on the Lord's Day? Or are we talking about, let's say, an, an evangelism event at the College World Series, like where I live here in Omaha, Nebraska? And are, we would never say that women could not talk to other people uh, and pass out water bottles and you know see if you can engage them with the gospel. We would never say that women aren't allowed to do that because the Bible doesn't speak in those terms. But Sunday morning, for example, is a whole nother matter. Another bad argument would be uh, women can be pastors because there were women disciples. Again, apples and oranges, there were women disciples. Let's make sure that we acknowledge a disciple is a follower. There were followers who were men and women. He definitely had female disciples. He didn't have female apostles, uh, but I'm not even going there at this point in time in this argument. It proves nothing that there were women disciples um, because he had them. But we're talking about pastors. Another bad argument that's related, she can be a pastor because some of Jesus' most loyal followers, his most loyal disciples were female. Okay. I I mean, the Bible doesn't spell that out, but I I see your point. And some of the time they seem to be the brave ones, but that doesn't negate the qualifications of first Timothy and Titus. Keep your eye on the ball, folks. Pay attention. Don't, don't be, don't be schnookered. If you will, theologically speaking, another bad argument. She can be uh, a pastor because the apostle Paul was wrong. Uh, He didn't know what he was talking about. He was out of touch. Uh, that's a problem. It's been promoted before. I've read it who knows how many times, especially in old theologically liberal uh, commentaries. Uh, remember, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. So the person who's writing 1 Timothy in chapter 2 is the one who's writing in chapter 1, verse 1. Verse 1 Paul, an apostle. Excuse me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior and of Christ Jesus. So... If you're an apostle, you speak with the authority of the one you represent. 
And so Paul is an apostle of Christ. And as an apostle of Christ, this is why I like to tell people, First Timothy is red letter. Uh, it is as equally scripture as John 3.16. Because he's an apostle writing, it carries the same weight of that very matter. So uh, remember, those who discount the Apostle Paul, uh, historically, they've been those who deny inerrancy, deny infallibility, deny the sufficiency of Scripture, deny the inspiration of Scripture. They've been anything but evangelical, Bible-believing, gospel-believing, and yet what do we have now? We have the evangelicals sounding like those who don't believe the Bible's true, even though their doctrinal statement still says that it is True. Another bad argument. Oh, there are so many. I'll go quickly. She can be a pastor because the passages that say otherwise are disputed passages. Well, they actually aren't. There's plenty of manuscript support for the passages that are the hot topic passages. They're disputed only in the sense that there are people who don't like what they say. And so they dispute them. So I guess you could say they're disputed, uh, but historically they have not been. And it's not for good reason. It's not for any kind of objective reason that they are disputed. Some also say that a woman can be a pastor because there have been effective women speakers and famous pastors have allowed them to speak, for example, in their pulpits. In response, what might you say? I would say pragmatism is not proof for propriety. Just because it's been done before doesn't mean it should be done. Others say women can be pastors because some pastor, some author, some scholars say that it's okay for them to be. And this is a particularly dangerous one. So you might look up to someone and thankfully, hopefully that you look up to them for good reason, but it doesn't mean they're right about everything. And if someone you know and look up to who's a pastor or an author or a scholar says that women can be pastors, I sure hope you uh, are discerning in what they say and you're willing to look into it because just because someone says it's okay, oh, my favorite author says it is. My favorite, I really like, for example... Bill Hybels, which no one does anymore because of what happened. Uh, but in the past, well, I trust him, so it must be right. Gilbert Belzikian, he has letters behind his name, so he must be right. Or now Rick Warren, he's a famous author, so he must be right. Well, just because they're famous, does how about this, does not mean they're right. And they're not on the side of church history, and they're not on the clear teaching of Scripture, on the side of the clear teaching of Scripture. Another reason people say women can be pastors because uh, she has been called by God to be a pastor. And we'll end on this one. Well, how would God call a person to be a pastor when it would be in direct contradiction to what he has recorded in his inerrant, infallible, sufficient written revelation? To answer the, to ask the question is to answer the question. So God has not mumbled when it comes to the Bible, uh, but perhaps you've misunderstood what you're labeling the call of God on your life. And I don't want to be mean spirited. I don't want to squash someone's hopes and dreams, but we, we, we can't be anything we want to be. Uh, even though some of our parents told us we could, it's actually impossible for certain reasons. And so, well, there are limitations in life. And so if you're burdened to do something wonderful and great uh, for the glory of God in Christ, let's start by saying, what does the Bible say 
because I know it's not glorifying to Christ. I know it's not an actual call of God on my life. If I'm going to do something that's in direct violation to what he says, that's a really bad place to start. Let's do something else. There are so many wonderful and great things to be done in the world and in the life of the church, Christ church. Uh, you don't need to be a preacher. Trust me. You don't need to be the preaching pastor. You don't need to be a pastor to be used greatly by the Lord. And so we wouldn't use that as a good argument. Now let's move on and let's talk about the next reason why women should not be pastors. So we've talked about the Bible. We've talked about the church's history. We've talked about the bad arguments and today on the Pactum, as we're talking about women preachers, women pastors, and how it ought not be so, it's not a biblical reality, we come to another reason women should not be pastors, and that's because of the trajectory. It's, it's where things are headed. When you go down this road, and this is actually a huge one, this is a big one. When you go down this road, it doesn't end well. So think with me, if you would, Pactum listeners, if you, you feel the pressure from the culture outside of the church, maybe somewhat inside the church, but the church feels the pressure from the culture outside of the church to make a change, uh, even though the Bible is clear about something. The outside influences. It's not because the Bible is, has changed, but because of the outside influences and the pressure from the broader culture, we might say, you know what, I guess maybe we need to have women pastors. We have women CEOs more than ever before. We have women who are presidents of corporations uh, and we have a woman vice president and all these things, we th things. And we think, all right, the pressure is there. So maybe we, we, we need to do some hermeneutical gymnastics and we need to, uh, in a sense, deny the clear teaching of scripture because the pressure is just so great. Hypothetically, and it happens, but hypothetically, when you do that, what happens what happens is then you have the precedent. The precedent is set. The precedent is set and the scripture is not what it is claimed to be, at least in practice. We might say, oh, I believe the Bible is true. It's God's word. I had my devotions in it today. But you decided by having women pastors that it is not the authority that it claims to be. You have decided and you've shown everyone else, whether you realize it or not, that you are the authority. And you are the, are, the, are the judge and you are the judge over scripture. That is actually in effect what has happened. And it is a bad trajectory. It is a bad road to go down because guess, what, guess what's going to happen? Now we're off and now we're even further off. So here's what happens next. Not every time, but this is a likely scenario. The next, the next thing that happens is more pressure comes. Pressure from the outside culture, not because of the Bible, but pressure comes from the outside. And now what's another hot topic in the culture around us that demands that we accept, even though the Bible says the exact opposite. And so you, you know where I'm going. It's homosexuality or all of the other kinds of uh, sexual deviations uh, that we uh, feel pressure to affirm. Well, that's what happens. That's what's next. And, and you, you already know. So the church that says we're going to start having women preachers, I already know what's going to happen. I hope it doesn't happen. I, I hope something radical happens and the spirit of God works, but I already know their tra trajectory because they already decided they know more than God does. And so first it's women pastors, and then it's going to be homosexuals, and then it's going to be transsexuals, and then it's going to be, it's not a sin. We can't say it's a sin. Then it's going to be same-sex marriage. It's, it's, it, the writing is 
on the wall. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I could practically prophesy to say, this is what's going to go down. And then we, we go even further into what's the next point of pressure. Please hang in there with me. Think about the next point of pressure. What's another super controversial thing in the culture around us uh, that's contrary to what the Bible says? One of them, and there would be more of them, but one really big one would be that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. The apostle Peter says, there's no other name given under heaven in Acts 4. No other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. The Bible is clear about this, that you must believe in Jesus. Uh, you can't just have, Jesus isn't a savior that just saves everyone. You must believe in Jesus. So you're under condemnation. You must believe in Jesus and then you are justified. So conscious faith in Jesus is required to go to heaven. Well, that's, that's not loving. People are going to say to us, that's not very inclusive. Uh, that's, that's hate, hate speech. And so here, here you go. We're going to start with an issue, for example, like women preachers, women pastors. And we, then we decide that we're in charge. The Bible isn't, or the greater culture's in charge. The Bible isn't. Then we're going to move to the next phase and it's going to be other sexual deviancies or it's going to be sexual deviancies. And then before you know it, we're not even believing in the truth about Jesus or insisting upon it because, Hey, you know what? We already decided if it's inconvenient, if it causes us harm or persecution or, or disdain, we're, we're going to get rid of it. And what we'll end up doing is we'll be just like the theological liberals of yesteryear. And these churches are apostate. They don't, they, many of the folks and leaders don't even believe the, 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 the biblical gospel. And so these things don't happen overnight and they don't happen in a vacuum. Maybe it doesn't always happen just like this in this order, but Pactum listeners, you get the idea. I pulled up the PCUSA site. Uh, recently just to get a, just to take a look at this. And it's a, it's a good uh, case study just because of its past history in the late 1800s, early 1900s and, and onward. Think about J. Gresham Machen. And so the conflict with Princeton Seminary and the need to start Westminster Seminary, the need to start a new denomination. So this is where the PCUSA is currently, according to their website. Persons in a same gender relationship may be considered for ordination and or installation as deacons, ruling elders and teaching elders, ministers of the word and sacrament within the PCUSA. Can you believe it? Well, yeah, I can definitely believe it. And conscious faith in Jesus isn't required either. They go on to say ordaining bodies, sessions and presbyteries are permitted, but not required to ordain Lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender persons, candidates for ordination and or installation must be considered as individuals on a case-by-case basis. It is not permissible to establish a policy that excludes a category of persons in the abstract. And it goes on to affirm, they're affirming and celebrating the full dignity and humanity of people of all gender identities. And it just goes on and on. And it is couldn't be further from what the Bible clearly teaches about human sexuality, sexual relationships. But folks, they decided a long time ago that the Bible is not the authority. And they decided with lesser issues than these issues. And now you, you, don't, even, you don't even have to be a Christian to, to go to heaven as long as you are you know, a good person, whatever that means, which we know can't be true. We better move on, but I hope you're getting the idea. This is a weighty matter.
And now we move on to another question. Are there any good resources on the subject? And as you might guess, I'm going to say the Bible, the Bible in a straightforward, clear, not a weird, strange, deviant kind of interpretation. But if you read the Bible, as in you interpret the Bible with the church at large throughout the church's history, you're going to say men and women are wonderfully equal and their image bearers in the same way. And yet at the same, uh, and in addition, they're spiritual equals. And yet we have different roles that we're called to in the life of the church. Another good resource, if you're looking for something more technical, dealing with the actual, actual text of scripture would be that commentary I mentioned earlier by George Knight. It's called the pastoral epistles. It's in the new international Greek new Testament commentary series. It's helpful. Um, so I'd recommend those two things. And then I have another book that I recommend with some, some certain qualification. Uh, and it is a book that when I originally read it, I thought it was quite helpful, but I have some concerns about the author's, uh, views of God. Uh, hopefully they're going to change sooner than later. Um, but, uh, it is a book by Wayne Grudem and it's called evangelical feminism subtitle, a new path to liberalism. And there's one chapter in there that I don't care for because it has to do with his uh, perspective relating to the doctrine of God as it would relate to submission and the Trinity. And I think he's off base there. But beyond that, as far as the history is concerned, as far as dealing with the objections are concerned, uh, I read it years ago when it first came out and I just reread it. And I think it's an outstanding resource uh, that would fit the spirit of the episode. In the preface, I believe he says, once an evangelical feminist position is adopted, the development only goes in one direction again and again. And I think he is right. So my next question is, what if my church, as you're listening to this, what if my church is compromising on this issue? And I think this is a serious matter because I, I love the church. I love pastors. I love local congregations. I don't love it when members of churches, uh, church hop and it's from one church to the other, to the other. I don't think that's ever how it was meant to be. It's not healthy. Uh, it's a lot like a marriage, um, and so there's a time and a place for a divorce. There are biblical grounds for it. Um, but to, for me as a church member to be uh, frequently divorcing my church is not good. So what I would suggest would be that you would pray, that you would try to help, that you would express concerns, that you would then, if need be, uh, that you would find a church that not only says it affirms the ultimate authority of Scripture above all other authorities, um, but proves it in its practice. And I wouldn't say this about every issue, but this issue is a big enough issue and the writing is on the wall and you know where it's headed beyond this. Uh, it may very well be that your church is on its road to apostasy uh, and, and it's time to, to, to bail out lest you continue to, uh, not feel the boiling water like the frog in the kettle. And finally, let's end on this. What are some wrong responses to this trend? Because there are wrong responses to this trend of having women preachers, regardless of what title they give them, regardless of the subterfuge when it comes to titles and things like that, and dodging the question by saying, well, we're, we're just going to change everyone's name to minister, and then it's going to be okay, and things like that that uh, is, is lacking integrity. So what's, what are wrong responses? Well, 
overreacting. How about that? Don't overreact. Let, let's not overreact and say, oh, therefore we're going to restrict, we're going to try. I don't think it's possible. We're going to try to restrict females from all other wonderful ways of serving in the church uh, or that women shouldn't study theology or something like that. That That's not helpful. That's not biblical. That's a, that's a bad overreaction. And we don't want to be those people. So don't, don't overreact. Uh, the, the solution might be worse. You know, the, the medicine might be worse than the poison or however that saying goes. <laughs> the cure might be worse than the disease. So don't be that person. Uh, another wrong way of responding to this trend would be with, with bad arguments. And uh, I'm not perfect. So maybe some of my arguments uh, are bad arguments. Uh, thankfully, they're not my own. I've done enough research to say these these are some tested arguments. But let's not use arguments that are, that are bad arguments. For example, uh, let's not say, well, there were no women disciples. So those who are coming from the, the pro women pastor, women preacher perspective, they're going to say, well, here's an argument. Uh, Jesus had women disciples. And hopefully you're not going to say, oh no, he didn't. Uh, I actually heard that just recently. He actually had women disciples. So let, let's just embrace it. How wonderful is that? Or let's not give the bad argument and somehow say that Priscilla didn't actually say anything to Apollos. I've heard similar things to that. And that's just ridiculous. That's just trying to um, have some sort of slam dunk argument. That's actually a bad argument. And the list could go on. Let's remember this in wrapping things up. The church is always tested. The people of God have always faced tests and the church is always being tested. It's being tested to see if it believes the Bible is true or not. And what we want by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we want to be faithful and we want to be faithful at affirming what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. And if it's clear and speaks to a matter, we want to say, well, that's what it says. And it applies to us. This is some obscure thing for certain people in some kind of old covenant, old covenant economy. No. And so we, we, we want to face, we want to face the tests and we want to be proven by God's grace to be faithful. And we need to know that sometimes the pressure from a hostile culture around us. Sometimes the hostile culture is even from fellow supposedly Bible believing Christians. Uh, it's an instrument. It's an instrument and it can be used in the hands of God uh, to, to reveal who's faithful and who's not faithful, who's part of the actual church and who's not part of the actual church. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find us online. We have a website, thepactum.org, and you can also find some of our pretty cool gear at thepactum.org. We'd love to see you sporting some of it. We'll see you next time here on The Pactum. 